0: Now, here we see that Moses, the great leader of the children of Israel, is dead. Moses, the lawgiver, the deliverer, the one that came and led the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, has died. Now, can you imagine how the people of Israel must have felt at this particular time? Moses, their hope. Moses, their leader. The one that had heard from God and seen his glory in the fire and the smoke of his presence. <laughs> the one that came down off the mount with his face shining like an angel due to him seeing the backside of God that no man had ever seen or no one man had ever experienced before. There has been no man like that of Moses. The glory was so strong upon Moses that he had to wear a veil upon his face to cover his his face from the glory of the Lord shining upon it. And here's the one who was called out of a burning bush in the middle of a desert. The one that wrought special miracles with a rod, the one that turned water into blood, the one that smote a rock and water came out of it, the one whose rod became a snake, the one that stretched forth his rod and he split a red sea, the one that called down 10 plagues upon Egypt, the one that lifted up a pole, a brass, a pole with a serpent upon it, and yet it healed all the people that looked upon it, the one that defiled all of Egypt's gods and overcame Pharaoh and his army, which was the greatest military force on earth. There was no one like that of Moses, but where is Moses? What has happened to Moses? The children of Israel's great deliverer now is dead. He's gone. He's no longer with them, and he's led them out into this wilderness. Now what? Here is Moses, that great leader that done all those great and mighty things, and they looked at him as their strength. They looked at him as their great leader, and they put all their faith and stock in him, but but the problem of it is he is dead he has died and now they're out here in this wilderness now where do we go now what do we do now where do we turn have you ever been in that place uh, when you're when your life has been shaken when something good has been taken away from you or something that you put stock in has crumbled uh, maybe uh, you had a husband walk away or maybe a wife has died or whatever it may be and all of a sudden your pillar all of a sudden your strength all of a sudden, that thing which you grain strength from is gone. It's no longer there. I have faced that many times in my life, and I'm sure that you have as well. But the thing that God wants us to see and understand, though Moses is dead, yet the call to possess the land has not changed. Do you hear me? What God has called you to do when that pillar or that, 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 that monument of strength that you put your stock in. I remember one man that helped disciple me. And all of a sudden he crushed me one day by some of his actions. And I thought, oh God, how am I going to carry on? But I found out that the call to my life to possess the land had not changed. And so much of the time we believe that conquest is tied to an event, to an era of time or to a place or to an experience, or most of the time we tie it to a person. This is why that people always talk about victory in the past tense, in the good old days. Tying it to an era or a space of time. Do you remember back in the 40s when? Do you remember back in the 70s when? Well, I'm tired of talking about the past. What about right now? What's going on right here in this 21st Well, it's doom and gloom and we're living. Yeah, but what's God up to? He's not slumbered. He's never went to sleep. He's never took a nap. He's never checked out. He's never quit looking upon his church. He's never quit caring. He's never quit love. So why are we always talking about conquest and victory as if it's something that's in the past and it's elusive for us today. I'm here to tell you there's just as much victory here today as there's ever been and there will always be victory even for tomorrow because my God is the same yesterday today and forever and he changes not. So quit talking about your past. Oh yes, glean from it. Learn from it. Testify of it. But I want to tell you your experiences of your past cannot even compare to the experiences of your future. Are you listening to me? God's Got a big scope, a big plan and a scope for you. And it's time that we recognize it. I hear the voice of the Lord telling the palace of praise here this morning, arise and conquer your land. Conquer your promise. Go after it with everything that's within you because it's yours. God's given it. God's spoken it. God's declared it. God's decreed it. Let's believe it. Let's go after it. Can I have can, can I have somebody here to shout Amen? Yeah. They all will so talk about it in a certain place. For example, ours is always well. I remember back in Ninth and Cedar. Well, Ninth and Cedar is good, but it can't compare to the Palace. Come on, somebody. Yeah, great things happen there. Great things are happening here. Why can't we see it? We always see things in the past, but we didn't even see them when they were happening there in our present. We didn't even see them then, and the only way we can talk about them is look back and reflect on them because we never seen it when it was happening. It's time to open your eyes. God is moving among us. Come on, somebody. Give him praise for moving among us. He's here right now doing marvelous things. There's victory in this house for you today. I don't know how much I'm going to get this preached today. I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost up here. And God's about to give victory to the palace of praise here today. But you know, Jacob, uh, his conquest was always tied to Bethel. And, and disciples were tied to the upper room. And Abraham, we could go on and on and on with all the different places. Uh, people uh, were tying their conquest to. We talk about conquest and victory in certain experiences. We talk about the camp meeting days, the open tabernacles, the tent meetings, the brush arbors. The older people do. Or, or we'll talk about the revival days. Remember the revival days when we'd have a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks revivals and things. They were good. They were precious. Amen. God moved among them. I thank God for that, but I want to tell you my conquest is not tied to one certain experience. The experience I had yesteryears that was good, there's greater ones awaiting for me in my present and my future. It's not over, honey. Can I have an amen? Most of the time people always refer to conquest and victory only of all to a person. and We do the same identical thing. A person that's been influential, a person that's been powerful to our lives, a person that we've gained strength from, a person that we've gained knowledge from, a person, haven't you ever heard, I just don't know what I'd do without you? Have we ever not said those kinds of things? And thank God for those kind of people. God's placed them in our lives for a purpose. Can I have an amen? But I want to tell you, conquest does not come to a certain person a certain evangelist or you know there are people that are tied to a favorite preacher, a pastor, evangelist or a popular profile person such as Billy Graham or whoever it is or or, or Oral Roberts, Jensen, Frankly, I can name all these popular people and people want to say oh I'm tied to him because he's my strength, he's my pillar and if we'll really look at it a lot of times we'll tie ourselves to a certain person who helped us go over things and helped us get through things and we look at it as if what gave us the victory was them themselves and not the thing that they actually gave us advice to do which was to adhere to the word of the Lord can I have an amen reality is conquest is, t- is tied to a call to a vision to a mandate And the will of God, not in a person, not an event, not an experience, or in a certain time frame. I want to tell you, victory should be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Can I tell you, victory's not just for, oh man, God was great in the 40s, but somehow he's died out. Come on, somebody help me preach. Conquest is tied to God, and we know that victory only comes through Jesus Christ. That's not my main message today, but I want to tell you, conquest is tied to mission. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Conquest is tied to a mission. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great command of the church. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said, first of all, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. That same power that I have, I'm given to you. You go, therefore, and to preach the gospel to every creature. And He tells them to teach all things whatsoever you observe to My name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I'll be with you forever. Amen. Can I tell you here today that we got to become a missional church if we want to have conquest and if we want to have victory? We got to learn how to be obedient to the mission that God has placed upon us and the mandate and the call that God has given to the Palace of Praise. Come on now. It's easy to sit under the umbrella of his grace and worship him and experience great and mighty things and all that. But it's another thing to obey the command go. Go why is it that we can hear God speak everything else to us but we can't hear the word just simply go he told Abraham to get and Abraham got not knowing where he was going have you ever thought about that God just said Abraham get going he said okay where do I go just put your foot forward and wherever you go and wherever the soles of your feet trot I'll give it to you and he said, just go he went not knowing where he's going it was a walk of faith and I'm here to tell you that God is about to turn this place inside out upside down I'm here. he's about to bring glory to the this- this place but he'll not be able to do it until his, his people hear the word go and step out on nothing and believe and become missional and become the body of Christ in the 21st century and the signs and wonders that follow them that believe in God will, will confirm his word when we obey his command can you say amen oh hallelujah when Moses died the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34 verse 5 and 6 so Moses the servant of the Lord had died say servant of the Lord are you want to be a? Uh, uh, can I just get this out of my system for a minute? Whoa! Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Get it out of your system for a minute, so you hear the preacher's word. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. My, my, I think that just made things worse. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love to feel the presence of God. I love the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, but no man knoweth of his sepulchre even to this day. The Bible literally reveals that God was the one that buried Moses, kept the place of his burial secret even into this very day. Why? A matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jude, in the book of Jude, that Jude wrote that there was an actual spiritual warfare or conflict over the body of Moses. Jude says in verse 9, there's only one chapter, and in verse 9 it says, yet Michael the archangel when, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, and he dressed not bring it against him a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuke thee. Now a lot of people that's the old uh, uh, King James version and my wife says why do you use that because I memorized my scripture in King James all these years it's hard for me to change. But I'll just tell you what it says. The Bible reveals to us in this passage that the devil himself had fought for the body of Moses and Michael the archangel said no you can't have it the Lord rebuke thee. That's what there was a fight there was a conflict over the body of Moses. And the reason being that the devil wanted the body of Moses was because he knew that the children of Israel tied victory and conquest to Moses himself. And let me tell you, it's good that you got a spiritual partner. It's good that you got a good friend that is a a, a great colleague in the faith. It's good that we have the same kind of spirit among the brethren and the sisters. It's good that iron sharpens iron. But let me stop right here and let me declare unto you something that is of a fact. They are not your victory. Your victory does not lie in them. They may help you, they may prod you, they may correct you, they may love. there's a lot of things but your victory is in Jesus Christ and can I tell you your victory is not gone just because something has died or withdrawn or moved away or been misplaced. Your victory is still yours no matter what happens around Jew. Hallelujah. But he was actually going to use the body of Moses as an idol. The very person that God called and used as a deliverer was the very tool that Satan was going to use to put them, the children of Israel, back in bondage because of their mindset. And we got to get rid of some stupid thinking. We got to get rid of some mindsets. Can I have an amen? I just can't make it because my friend left me. Come on. My neighbor moved. The pastor resigned. If this place falls apart because I resigned, it ain't built on much. Oh, help me right here, Lord. But nevertheless, what began to happen is, That God knew that he was going to take Moses' body and set it up and make an idol out of it and it was going to bring the children of Israel right back into bondage. If we're not careful, we put our emphasis on the wrong thing and we end up falling short of fulfilling the vision. If we're not careful, we cannot accept anything new because we idolize too much the old and the past. We make idols out of our past experiences. They're good for us. They're there for a purpose, but be careful of how you treat them. Be careful how you look to them. Be careful of how much stock you put into one little experience of your life. Moses was a deliverer, but Joshua was the conqueror. Can I have an amen? And if we're not careful, we're going to understand that in order for them to really to go over, they had to let go of a Moses. Yes. Are you to respect your leaders? Yes. Are you to honor your leaders? Yes. Are you to be kind to your leaders? Yes. Are you to listen to your leaders? Yes. That's leadership. But don't set them up as a God and idolize them in your life. And don't make them more in your life than what they are. Can I have an amen? I thank God for the leadership around this church. But I want to tell you, I want to tell all of us before our heads get a big bubble, there's not a one of us that isn't replaceable by God. Amen? Moses was the deliverer, but Joshua was the conqueror. And so much of the time, we stop short after being delivered, but we never go into the land of conquest. We're delivered, but not victorious. Oxymoron, isn't it? We're delivered, but we're not conquering. God help us. If you don't believe me, just look at the statistics of the churches. Around America right now, 86% of all churches run under 100. They're saved. And out of the 86% that run under 100, over 50, now they say it's way more than that, this statistic's 20 years old. They say that over 50% of them run under 50 and most of them run around 20. They're saved, they're born again, they're good people. But they don't know how to have victory. They don't know how to have conquest. Folks, God doesn't just want us to be led out of something, but he wants to bring us into something. Amen? He didn't just want to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Yes, that was the main goal, to get them out of warliness, the word Egypt means warliness. But he wanted to lead them into Canaan, the land that flowed with milk and honey. God delivered the children of Israel through the wilderness. Notice that. Their deliverance was a process. It was a journey. It wasn't one event. It was a journey. But there comes a time when you have to quit always being delivered and start conquering. It's time to mature. There's a difference in leaving and arriving. I don't only want to leave Egypt. Yes, that's the first step. You can't get nowhere till you leave. But I want to tell you, after you leave, don't come short of obtaining the prize. Amen? The object wasn't just to leave Egypt, but the object was to arrive in the land of promise, the land that flowed with milk and honey called Canaan. But too often, there are those that have left Egypt, but they never arrive to their Canaan. Their focus is on salvation, but not really kingdom work. And let me stop right here and say, how many are saved under the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Woo! Praise the Lord for it. Now give him a shout. All right. All right. As wonderful as that is, yet you're saved for purpose. You're not just saved so you can just go to heaven. You're saved to build the kingdom of God. You're saved to be a warrior. You're saved to be a fighter. Come on, somebody. You're saved to be a a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're saved that if even necessary to become a martyr and give your life for Christ's sake. We are saved to make him Lord of our lives. Amen. There's so many people, though, that have roamed around, the children of Israel, roamed around for 40 years in their deliverance process, following Moses, and yet many of them died there. Generations after generations of people died there. There is a deliverance in leaving something All right, let me say this. There is a difference, I meant to say, in leaving something than taking something. There's a difference in forsaking something and possessing something. We've learned how to leave. We've learned how to forsake. We've learned how to do that, but we've never learned how to take hold. We've never learned how to possess. Come on, somebody. Yeah, we've left Egypt. We've turned our back on Egypt. We don't want to go back there. We don't want all the stuff that we have. But the problem of it is, we don't want to cross over the Jordan and go into the land of promise. We'd rather stay on this side of the river like the two and a half tribes of Israel. But yet, God said, that's not good enough. If, you're going to, if we're going to go, we're all going to go. And let me look at somebody and say, the command is not three fourths of us go, all of us go. We go together, we fight together, we stay together. There's strength in numbers. There are four dimensions, actually I put three, and one of them is uh, something that is intertwined in all of them, so there's really actually three dimensions to the Christian faith and its maturity. How many want mature faith? The first stage is that of transformation. It's a transformational stage. It's what speaks of evolving or becoming or the changing of a nature, it speaks of salvation. That is the beginning. Before you can do anything, you've got to be transformed you got to be saved. Amen? Then the number two, there's the experiential stage. It's coming to know God. It, it, it It is having those encounters with God. You can't grow without them. They're there and it's necessary. The things that they seen out of Moses was necessary. The things that they seen through the wilderness was necessary. They had to know that God was real in order to go into the Canaan because in Canaan there's giants. In your your promise, there are giants that's going to try to keep you from receiving. They didn't face giants in the wilderness. They faced giants in their conquest. And so much time, we got to understand that God is not elusive. God is not playing high school seat with us. God is a God that you can find and experience. Can I have an Amen. And your experience isn't necessary. People always say, man, y'all put a lot of uh, stock in experiences. I said, you better know it. You've got to come to know who God is. It's one thing to know him through a book where you read it and you become indoctrinated and you know it by scripture. That's important. But I want to tell you, unless God confirms that word in the realness of an experience, all you are is indoctrinated and you really cannot really fully believe until you find that God is a God of his word and he confirms it. Amen. It's gotta be backed up by experience. So there's that experiential stage where they went through the wilderness, they seen all those miracles. I could go through them again, but I don't think I have to. But then, in order to receive the promise, here we find out that they had to literally face a change in their life. The children of Israel was delivered from Egypt, the blood was applied to their door, that speaks of their transformational age. How many knows you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? I don't have to preach that, do I? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The children of Israel was delivered by the way of the wilderness, which was under the direction of Moses. This speaks of their experiential stage where they experienced God. They've seen the wonders, they've seen the, the mighty acts. Quail would fly in, and they'd equip, manna would fall out of the sky. Their shoes never wore out, their clothes, man, there were all kinds of miracles. Come on, somebody. But in order to receive the promise, they had to embrace something new. They had to embrace a man by the name of Joshua. They had to accept change. Deliverance may come by the way of Moses, but victory comes by the way of Joshua. Moses was a deliverer, but again, Joshua was a conqueror. What brought you deliverance is not necessarily the same thing that causes you to conquer. Amen? The thing that brought you out may not necessarily be the same thing that takes you over. We have to embrace the new leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me, folks. The work of the Spirit that delivered you, that set you free, that brought you out, is the same work of the Spirit that will cause you to conquer. It is the same Spirit, but it is of a different work, and it is a different order. There is not always the same kind of appearance or feel with it we got to understand that. I'm doing some pastoring here today. You can't take away from what Moses did, but you can't hang on to it forever because it will keep you short of entering into your promise. It will bring you to the border, but it won't take you over. There's a difference in a breakout and a breakthrough. There's a difference in a coming out and a going over and going in. There's a difference in breaking loose and breaking out. There's a difference in deliverance and conquest. I thank God that I am delivered, but I'm ready to do some victory. Come on, somebody. I'm ready to punch some giant in the face. Woohoo! I'm ready to get me a slingshot out like David did and see a, a giant come down. Amen. I'm tired of the old mouths roaring in the background, putting fear and intimidation, wrecking havoc on our lives, and we're like little timid animals. We're like the grasshopper mentality. Oh, look what stands over. I'll just stay over here. I don't want to go over there. I'm satisfied in the deliverance process, I'm saved and satisfied. I'm planted by the river of Jordan and I'm gonna sing this song, I Shall Not Be Moved. Huh? God is saying quit singing that song it's time for you to arise and be of good courage and be not dismayed it's time for you to pull up your faith by your bootstraps and declare who you are and it's time you set your eyes upon the fruit of the land of Canaan don't settle for second don't settle for something less don't settle for a second rate citizen it's time for you to understand who you are go conquer your promise go get it, go get it, go get it can I have an amen? It's like somebody pulling up and saying, there's you, a new, there's you an old used, wore out 1974 Ford pickup. Then somebody else pulling up and there's you a, a brand new Wildcat or, or a Hellcat uh, Mopar. Which one are you gonna choose? We can choose right in the physical, physical but we can't, we can't choose right in the spiritual. Open your eyes, saints. What you see right now is just the distractions. It's nothing more than the flies in the apothecary. It's nothing more that's keeping your attention off of what's really before you. A lot of people cannot go over because they don't even see what's there. They don't even see the opportunity. God help us. In deliverance, there's a fight to be set free. Constant fight to be set free. Running from opposition. Always having the same... Problems and dilemmas. But in conquest, there's a fight to take possession. The experience of deliverance is different than the experience of victory. Thank God you have the experience of deliverance. where you were let out. The things of your past is not going to be the same as the things of your future, folks. If you're delivered, God don't want you to keep having the same struggle from the things you were delivered from. Though you're delivered, He don't want you sitting in that all your life. Amen. He's bringing you out for a reason. But if you don't claim a hold of what's ahead of you, you know what you'll do? You'll become frustrated and unfulfilled and you'll go back to where you come from. Egypt always wanted to go back. They forgot about what it was like to to live in a land of nothing but garlic and onions. Come on, that's what they complained about. But yet when they started really progressing and Moses began to put the pressure on, ah, we want to go back to Egypt, at least in Egypt. We had garlic and onion, and then God begins to perform a miracle. And He begins to provide a table for them in the wilderness. Come on, somebody. He shows them who He is. And we don't only need to leave Egypt, but we need to pursue our Canaan. We need to pursue our promises. Everybody's always talking about what God's going to do here, but I see very little pursuing. If you believe God's going to do something, then you're going to be activated by faith to go after it. Faith is an action word. It don't just sit around waiting for something to fall out of the sky. It's going to go after it with everything that's within it. There are people delivered, but they not conquered. There are people free, but they're not victorious. There are people being taken out of Egypt, but they're not taken over into Canaan. Notice what verse 1 says again. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, I ain't even gonna get out of the first verse yet. You can't despise your Moses because he's the one that got you out. He's the one that got you where you're at. And without him, you would never be able to even know that there is a Canaan. As a matter of fact, Moses may have been buried and may have not been able to lead the children of Israel over into Canaan because why? An act of disobedience, Right? He was told to speak to a rock. Instead, he smote the rock a second time. And God said, because what you've done, you'll not take the children of Israel over. But Moses very much made it to Canaan himself. How do I know? Moses will always be behind the scenes because he's the one, the experience that you had originated with. Salvation is your first experience. It's the most important. It's what got you rooted. It's what got you on your journey. On the Mount Transfiguration, when Jesus was transformed between Peter, James, and John, right before him, there appeared also, who? Moses and Elijah. I don't have time to preach on this, but that represented law. Moses represented law. Elijah represented grace. Moses represented death. Elijah represented resurrection because he had never died. However, we see Moses in Canaan on the Mount Transfiguration. The problem was that Peter, James, and John wanted to build three altars there and worship. They wanted to make Elijah and Moses a part of their worship. Their focus got off. This is being done right in the presence of an experiential encounter with Jesus. He just literally transformed before them. And even in the experience of transformation, they started to do to Moses what the children of Israel would have done if God would not have buried the body. They want to make an altar to him and worship him. Now, if we broke that up, and I don't have time to preach on it, there's too many people wanting to hang on to the law and they don't want to hang on to grace. Amen? That's a message within itself. But they wanted to include Moses, and they wanted to remain in their deliverance experience. They didn't want to let go of it. And they also wanted to include Elijah. Why? Because Elijah was the man that was known for what? Miracles. So they wanted to keep their experiential God. But the problem of it was they literally could not understand that they were not supposed to hang on and allow the Moses and the Elijahs to have that kind of an effect upon their lives. What'd they say after they'd done it? When they seen Moses' life, oh, it is good that we may stay here. This is a good place. Let's just remain right here. What did they want to do? They literally wanted to abort the missional aspect of God. They were satisfied just to sit in his presence and hang on to a Moses who was What? who was their salvation, and to hang on to Elijah, who was their experience. As long as I can have encounters and as long as I can be saved, let's just forget about the missional command of Jesus. Let's just come in here and be a good little church and have a party, enjoy the presence of God, but when we walk outside, literally, let's really not get involved in our faith Am I not preaching all right here this morning? God help us. Moses set on the path to victory, but it was Joshua that'll take you over. And without a Moses victory, without a Moses, victory couldn't come. He represented the law, but victory came by what? By what? Jesus Christ. Notice that it says that Moses, the servant of the Lord, Moses had his place in God's eternal plan. He's important. But then it says that Moses died, and the Lord spoke unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' ministry saying. Notice it says that Joshua, you know what his name means? Savior, it's the same word that we get the word Jesus from, was Moses' minister. Hallelujah. And then at the Mount Transfiguration, God had to correct him. How did he do it? All of a sudden, out of a cloud, a voice spoke, "This is my beloved son, in whom I will hear you." Him, and the place shaken, and they were fearful, and they hit their faces to the ground. And then, when they rose up, they seen Jesus only, their perspective. And what did he say? That's my son. Hear ye him, listen to him, and obey him. Quit getting your focus on your past with Moses. Quit getting yourself all wrapped up in your experience through Elijah. And listen, see Jesus clearly, and listen to what he's got to say. If the church could get back to seeing Jesus more clearly, and not the singer who's, oh, it's... Oh, they're singing. They're singing. They're leading worship. I don't think I'll show. Oh, he's preaching. I don't really want to go if he's preaching. Come on. Who's teaching the Sunday school today? Well, so and so. Well, I really. I don't. I think I'll wait till next Sunday to come, when the real teacher's there. What is it? Wrong focus. Folks, I want to tell you something. You can learn from a rooster. Ask Peter. You can learn from a swine of pigs. Ask the men of Gadara. Come on, somebody. When we think that we got it all figured out and we only like certain styles, certain preferences, certain things, certain people, certain places, certain moves, certain feelings... We've already missed the whole scope because it's not about none of that. It's about the mission and the call of the church. The things are helped to encourage us to do the mission, not to get stuck in a rut and get hooked on feelings and emotions and experiences. You know why there's a lot of the light, one of the number one reasons why there's no signs and wonders in the church is because the church has got stuck on them. That's all they want. And they have let up on, you start doing the mission, watch the signs and the wonders come back. Oh, I'm, I'm meddling now. Though Joshua had a different work, he was a different leader, a different person, yet he was of the same spirit of that of Moses because it was grace and truth began to kiss each other. Can I tell you that God wants to do more in your life than lead you out? He wants to take you over here this morning. God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you. God wants to overwhelm you. Jeremiah 29, 11 still says, For I know thy thoughts that I think towards you, saith all thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God wants to give you an expected end. John 10 and 10, the thief coming not, but to kill and steal and destroy. I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Beloved, I wish above all things that, thy soul, that, that thou prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. 1 John, or third John, uh, 3 John 1 and 2. I'll get it out. God don't want us to be pursued. He wants us to be the pursuer. Are you listening? There's a difference in the battle of deliverance than there is the battle of victory. A lot of us have fought a lot of battles, but it's all in the area of deliverance. Always needing God to deliver us from, always needing God to do this for us, always needing to win. That's all good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference in the battle of deliverance than there is the battle of victory. In deliverance, you're forsaking something. In conquest, you're taking. In deliverance, you're running. In conquest, you're pursuing. In deliverance, you're the victim, but in conquest, you're the victor. In deliverance, you're following. In conquest, you're leading. In deliverance, you're being chased. In conquest, you're the doing the chasing. In deliverance, you're being prayed for. In conquest, you're the one doing the praying. Come on, somebody. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 37, Nay, and all these things were made more than conquerors to him that loved us. This isn't a deliverance mentality. It's a conquest mentality. Listen, he finished it up in Romans 8, 38. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He isn't talking about trying to obtain. He's talking about going out and possess, buddy. Go get it. It's yours. Our struggle, our fight should not always be trying to stand, but it's to go over. Amen. Our struggle shouldn't always be trying to receive something, but it should be gaining something through victory, taking away the enemy's possession, pulling down his strongholds, going against the kingdom of darkness. There are too many Christians that are delivered, but not conquering. They're standing still. They're not having any forward mobility. There's no growth. There's no push. There's no victory saved, but not truly victorious. They get so wrapped up, hooked up on the deliverance experience that they never develop a spirit of conquest. And there's a different feeling in being delivered and going into the conflict of war. As a matter of fact, in deliverance, you're experiencing freedom and you're experiencing newness. In deliverance, you're experiencing the weights fall off. How many of what's why have a weight fall off of you? In deliverance, you know the bondages are being broken, the shackles are being removed, the chains are, are being broken. Thank God, that's a wonderful feeling. It should be, but in deliverance, you're, you're coming, you're coming out. In deliverance, you're coming out of something. But the feeling of conquest is totally different than that. In conquest, there's a challenge. In conquest, there's a weight. In conquest, there's a rationing. In conquest, there's a forward progression. In conquest, there's an endurance, a steadfastness, a bucking the wind. There's an opposition. There's an enemy. Are you listening? There's a different manifestation in the spirit of conquest than there is in deliverance. It's of the same spirit, but it's of a different manifestation and of a different order. But too many are hooked on the feeling of deliverance. They're emotionally driven instead of faith driven. They're like a marriage. When they first get married, everybody likes the honeymoon. Wait three years, Bub. No, wait two years. Some wait three months. Amen. It's odd how you when you first get married and your wife gets up, don't look at me yet, I ain't got my makeup on. As you've been married as long as me and Jenny is, who cares if you got makeup on or not? Amen. This ain't always a honeymoon stage. It's a war. We're in the battle for the kingdom. Everybody wants to focus about the battle of our life. Well, them are real battles that deliverance process. But our battle's more than just for our life. The battle is for the life of you and you and your loved one and that love. It's for the kingdom. It's about eternity. Can I have an Amen. Somewhere people have to mature, they have to grow, they have to measure up to a life of conquest. Paul said that nothing shall separate us. Let me give you, I'm gonna to have to skip a lot because we're running out of time. The conquest of the New Testament church is revealed in scriptures like this Matthew 11 and 12. From the days of John the Baptist until how the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven suffer violence, and the violent takes it by force. Conquest is found in Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's conquest. Conquest is found in Mark 11 22, 23. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall speak into this mountain, be thou removed and cast to sea, shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Conquest is found in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Conquest is found in Matthew, Mark 16, 17, and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's conquest. Conquest is Hebrews 2 and 4. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers, miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Conquest is John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth in me and the words that I do, the works that I do, he shall do also greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Conquest is found in Deuteronomy twenty-eight, thirteen, And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only and thou shalt not be beneath. If thou hearken unto the commandment of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. You shall be the leader, he says, and not the borrower. The lender and not the borrower. In deliverance you'll find yourself in the prayer line. But in conquest you'll be the one laying the hands on the people. In deliverance, you're praying at an altar. In, in conquest, you're praying, for some, praying someone through at an altar. In deliverance, you're observing God's commandments. In conquest, you're doing and obeying God's commandments. In deliverance, you're having hands laid on you, but in conquest, you're laying hands on other individuals. In deliverance, you're shouting because of the blessings that you're receiving, but in conquest, you're shouting and proclaiming blessings upon somebody else. In deliverance, you're being anointed, but in conquest, you are the anointed. Amen? We have to realize that we all have a high calling from the Lord to live victoriously. And He has set before us a pre ordered plan, and we are here to try to obey Him to fulfill that plan. Victory isn't just for the church, it's not just for the preacher, it's not just for the deacons, it's for every one of us. We are a priesthood of believers. We're all priests in our own given right. God has promised that if we'll act in faith, trusting him, he will bring the, his plan to fulfillment in all of our lives. This is the way to conquest. Let me just stop right here because I, I, I'm just getting so much I'm going to have to skip. But I want you to know it's inappropriate for us to be in the church for 20 years and not know how to have Conquest living in our deliverance experience all the time, never grew, always wanting the experiences. Now, I'm not discouraging you from seeking an experience, but what I am telling you, if you have any experiences here, they'll dry up in your life if you don't ever do anything with them and go out that door and let them teach you how to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring those experiences to somebody else. Anything that God ever gives to us is for us to share. To whom much is given, much is required. And everything that God has ever done in my life down here, it'll drop and blow away if I heap it upon myself to lust for lust reasons and not for the kingdom reasons. Amen? Matter of fact, some of us don't even have our prayers heard because we ask a myth because we want to ask it to consume our own lust. It's all about us. And everything God does to you, it's all about him doing it to you so he can get it through you to somebody else. Amen? Let me hurry up. I hear the voice of God saying it's time for the church to go to the next level. It's time to become missional. In the deliverance process, God provided quail and manna. But you know what? When they got to the border and they crossed over the quail and the manna stopped... Who don't like just free food falling out of the sky? I'm hungry today, I'm gonna go out in the porch, and here comes a covey of quail. Come on in, guys. It's a wonder they didn't start plucking their feathers and cutting their own heads off and jumping in the frying pan. God made a way through the wilderness. He was always serving them, always giving to them, always giving them experiences. But now, guys, it's time for you to go over into Canaan there won't be no more me giving to you. It's now that you give for me. What I have given, i give to others. Oh, the fruit's there, but you've got to go out and work, and you've got to labor, and you've got to go after it, you've got to possess, you've got to get the giants out of the land in order to be able to take it, and then you've got to pick it. Come on, somebody. We like them, them earlier stages of salvation. We get hooked on them. Well, God just blesses us. And it ain't about our performance because most of the time in the earlier stages, we got all kinds of hang-ups. And God blesses beside who. How many has been blessed when you didn't deserve it? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. In the conquest process, you have to take on a different nature. You got to go after it. In the deliverance process, God fights your battles. He done it for them. Moses stretched forth your rod, boop, sea splits. They walk over and the most mightiest military force on planet earth starts coming through, follow them to pursue them. And God shut the waters on them and in one act destroyed the whole army. But when they get on the other side, all right, your first city start marching boys I want to, I want to, it'll be me that wins the battles, but there's a, things you've got to do. Amen. Over in the new land of Canaan, you've got to draw a sword. On the new land of Canaan, you've got to cut some giants' heads off. You've got to fight. You've got to oppose things. You've got to stand up. You've got to be people of faith. You've got to be people of mission. No one is ever going to get the fulfillment of their destiny by sitting in a church waiting for it to fall out of the sky. It's not going to happen. It's a promise. He's emboldened you. He's given you a vision through the experience, He's given you the vision through the transformation. But there has to become a missional side of it. Jesus started out with 12, that 12 went to 70. And you know what it said about that 70? They went out and turned the world upside down. And they came back rejoicing. We laid hands on the sick and they recovered. done wonders. We done miracles by the laying on of our own hands. And then they said these words, and even the spirits were subject unto us. The demons even had to obey us. When's the church going to learn that? When are we going to learn the missional side aspect of God? Thank God the 70 and that turned into 120 and the 120 went up in the upper room and had that great experience and encounter with God. Thank God they didn't just sit up there and say, Whoa, this is good. Let's just build altars here and stay here. If they did, you wouldn't be here today. They went out in the streets. Peter begins to preach to the people he ran and hid from. He's emboldened by the Holy Ghost. And as he preaches, 3,000 people are saved. When's the church going to take the man and say, all right, boy, I was blessed today. I can't wait to get out there in the mission field. I'm going to stir up some devils. Amen. I'm going to preach some sermons. I'm going to lay some hands on some folk. And you know, you say, well, I'm not called to do that. Yes, you are. Every single one of us is called to do that. That's the missional aspect of the church. And when you start doing it, That's when God begins. We're sitting right here waiting for God to show up. Oh, there's going to be an end time move of God. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and there is, but it's going to be upon the church that's missional, that's doing something with it, that's bold enough to share their faith. I was in Walmart. Walmart, Where was that? I was in a big store. Where was that? Anyway, I was in the store. Somebody come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Miller, would you, they don't go to our church, would you pray for me? I've been so sick, I sure would, give me your hand. They went. I started praying right there. Don't ask me to pray if if I'm in a storm. I'm going to pray for you. I might forget. And the Lord touched them. Let's rise and be the church that's missional. Let's go after and storm the gates of hell. Let's quit being on the defense and start being on the offense. Let's be the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we'll make mistakes. We'll make, that's okay. The disciples did. Yes, there's going to be some mistakes made, but that's all right. God's with us. Now, listen to what the children of Israel said. They, some of them did not want to go over and said, Joshua. Moses, our leader, said, and they start telling Joshua all the things that Moses told them. I'm going to throw it in Joshua's faith as if what makes us think we are to obey you? Joshua stands up and say, let it be known in this day God has said, even as God was with Moses, even so he will be with me. Men, be of good courage. Rise up. Go possess the land. And as God had promised in Moses' time, that promise is still with us in our time, that wherever the soles of your feet tread, that is what I'll give you for an errand. Let's be of good courage and let's go over. Would you stand with me this morning? These altars are always open for the sick, the afflicted, the people that need deliverance, the people that need to be healed, the people that need to be blessed, for the discouraged, for the hurted, for the wounded, for the disappointment, for the frustrated, for the depressed, for the oppressed. They're always open. We need the Moses. We need the experiential. But I'm almost to the point, I'm gonna quit calling my altar workers and quit calling my staff to come and pray. Why can't the palace start laying hands and start beginning to see the miracles? I commission you this day as a body of believers. Be the body of Christ. What did the body of Christ do? Everywhere he went, he went around doing good, healing all those oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Everywhere Jesus did, he made an uproar. And they said, He's spreading, he's spreading his doctrine in our city. When's the church going to rise up and stir up some devil? Yeah, you're going to stir up some opposition. It ain't fun. It's weighty. There's a different feel. And a lot of people, they, they, they feel like they're, they're, they're not victorious because of the feel of oppression, that the enemy comes against you when you really start trying to do the will of God. and he'll beat you up, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm asking tonight, how many's with us? How many's going to start trying to become more missional? Amen? I want to see some people be bold in their faith. Start laying hands on some sick. But here's what most of the church world does. It ain't as much our church. Somebody needs to be saved. Somebody needs to be healed. Pastor, could you come and pray for so-and-so? Pastor, could you come to my aunt's house? She wants to be saved. I don't mind coming. Call me if I'm available. I'll try to get there. But we're... where's where's the call of the church I don't need you to come help me pray someone through if I'm casting out a demon I may say those of you that are not afraid of demons would you come and help me that's a big task that's a fight amen that's happened in my ministry several times it's not pleasant it's not fun I've had demons literally speak verbally to me That's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But that's the call and the commission of the kingdom. Missional church. Let's arise, let's shine. Because the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Go ye therefore into the whole world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Preach it to your neighbor. Preach it to your boss. Preach it to your friend. Preach it to the outcast. Preach it to wherever you got an opportunity. Lay hands on people where you got the opportunity. And let's see salvation. Let's see our church double next year. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Now give the Lord praise and we'll be dismissed.